Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Digby Jones, former Director General of the Confederation of British Industry, the CBI, and former Trade Minister. On this programme, we're talking business and we're preparing for Brexit. In this episode, we tackle what could be the trickiest, the most challenging part of life for business after Brexit. And everybody's been talking about the different duties, the different tariffs, what will be allowed, what won't be allowed, and all the big arguments. But actually, today we're going to talk about the real practicality of getting goods in and out of our country. Because just in a few weeks' time, on the 1st of January, there are going to be huge changes at the border. For 40 years, we could just drive with our goods in and out of the country completely freely. And now at the end of transition, there's going to be a whole new regime. There are going to be new systems, new requirements, new paperwork. And there's plenty of noise about that. What does it mean? What's going to happen? Some people are saying there'll be 7,000 port-bound trucks lined up in the motorways of Kent. Some people say, no, if we get the paperwork right, it'll be fine. We're going to hear from Eurotunnel. They've spent millions of pounds putting new checkpoints in at Dover. We're going to hear from a flower importer, a small business that brings in flowers from Holland every day. How is she going to make sure that her business, which has already been hit hard, as so many businesses listening to this will have been by Covid. And we're going to hear from a man who transports triumphs. Jaguars, Rolls Royces, all across Europe on his specialist trucks. A real niche business which relies totally on getting high-valued goods quickly across the border every day. Welcome to Preparing for Brexit with me, Digby Jones, here on Times Radio. Now joining me throughout today's programme is Elizabeth de Jong. She's Director of Policy at Logistics UK. That's the trade body for all modes of transport, including hauliers, right the way across the United Kingdom. Elizabeth, hello. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Now, huge changes are ahead. I I referred to it just now about getting those goods across. What in real terms does that look like for a business listening to this? So to bring it to life, I like to think of it as a brand new supply chain in paperwork that needs to accompany each item which is being sent. So for Great Britain EU trade with or without a deal, initially the checks are going to be for exports only. There's going to be customs procedures as we're coming out of a customs union with the EU. There's going to be safety and security procedures as the UK sought 
not to seek a waiver on this requirement. And there's going to be cyto and phytosanitary checks on food and food products. Plus, without a trade deal, we may need permits to grant permission to even make a commercial journey to the EU. Now, you've already Great. lost me. What, what, what does cyto and phyto mean? It means checks to make sure that um, food or plant products meet the regulatory requirements of the EU. Oh, thank heavens for that. I thought it was a new Disney movie. And does that mean that that they're going to need to get this stuff in advance? So some of the paperwork needs to be done in advance. Much of the paperwork needs to be done in in advance. But at the coalface of that big supply chain in new paperwork is the driver. And they have to carry the output of it. And they're going to be personally affected if the paperwork's not in order and they're not allowed to make a crossing, or if other people haven't got their paperwork in order, they'll be needing to sit in queues. So rather than a um, the one-off haulier, the, the haulier that does this every day, what would they need to do right now, not just before they go? So there's new systems, there's new pieces of information about those systems, new infrastructure and processes, and there's about 8,000 haulage companies and 200,000 trading businesses all need to be involved in this getting ready. So one of the most important things um, for you to do now is to seek information. Haulage companies need to check their customers are ready. Trading customers need to check their haulage companies are ready. And there is information out there, not complete yet, but find out as much as you can. But is there any part of this which someone filling this in and think, oh, no, not another form, just because they can? I mean, is there any of that? A number of the forms are very long indeed. So safety and security declarations have 36 data fields. Um, I'm going to give you just a little flavour now of how many more things you need to take with you on that journey. There's six potential new documents that you'll need to carry. Um, You need an international driving permit, you may need a visa, you need a different type of driving licence, you may need a permit called an ECMT permit to show that you're allowed to travel uh, in the EU, green card for your motor insurance, Um, And there's one where you need a GB sticker. No longer will a little thing on your plate do for that. Uh, But the biggest changes are all around the customs and safety and security documentation. And for example, most of that is done by the trader, but there's four different processes a trader can use um, in order to uh, clear customs. And for each of those four different processes, the document and paperwork for each is different. We will get the hang of it because yeah. we'll make the same journeys and we'll know yeah. what to do. For the 1st of January, it does feel overwhelming. Well, now let's see how that's uh, put into practice, actually, at uh, our busiest EU port. Half the goods that go from the UK to Europe every day go through Dover. The numbers are quite eye-watering, actually. 1.5 million trucks travel through any one year. That's 4,000 a day. And a delay at any time processing that little lot can lead to a tailback. I'm told it'll be on the M20s, on operation stack and all of that. I'm amazed it's not on the M6 north of Birmingham, frankly. So I'm joined by John Keefe. He's Director of Public Affairs at Eurotunnel. And John, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Nice to be here. Now, the numbers that I just quoted, I mean, they seem extraordinary to me. And and I fear that the slightest delay with one of those 
a myriad of forms and, and regulations that Elizabeth kindly took us through. Any one of those and bam, suddenly we're going to get queues everywhere. Is that right? Or is, there, is, is it all sorted already? It's all being sorted. I think it would be uh, ambitious to say it was all perfectly ready. But we have to remember we've we've had a couple of goes at this already because we had the aborted attempts in um, March and then October 2019 when we were potentially leaving without a deal. So we we got ready for those um, no deal environments where where we would have been trading with the EU on uh, World Trade Organization rules and where everything would have to be controlled in each direction. Things have moved on a lot since then, and the two governments have developed new systems for managing all of that paperwork that Elizabeth was talking about. A lot of it has been put online, so it's now electronic. So there's a reduction in the in the kind of sheaf of papers that you actually have to carry down to a simple barcode or in the way that we've been working with uh, with government into a virtual wallet that will carry the electronic information for you in one place so that you can then uh, transmit it to either the UK or to the French authorities without even having to go through a, uh, a physical transaction. So a, a lot has been done to streamline the process, but the process is as complicated as Elizabeth has has outlined. And so everything that's been done since it was defined has been to take it into the sort of the smart border world where things are done electronically, where control can be done in real time, and where only physical inspection becomes a necessity for a small portion of the traffic. So if all of the paperwork is done right, then the stopping of trucks is a very limited part of the exercise. How limited is limited? A handful of percentage, um, a handful of uh, of trucks. You mean spot spot checks, you mean? Spot checks or checks on the basis of uh, questionable information in the in the paperwork in paperwork so if you've got so if so if you if you've been good you know, either your office or you yourself if it's just a, a one-man band or your office have got all that paperwork and i'm relieved to hear that you can do it all in advance and you can put it on 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 the smart stuff that's great so so you arrive at, 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 at dover you arrive at Eurotunnel. And you do the stuff, as you've just said, and with a minimum of fuss, someone says, yeah, your paperwork's fine. I've got it on screen on your way. If there's something wrong, if someone's not done it, or indeed someone's not bothered at all or whatever, what would happen then? Well, I think the first one is it's an if. If if you've got everything right and if you are carrying goods that don't need to be inspected, then, yes, you'll be able to carry on straight through. Now, in export terms, um, straight away, there are some goods that absolutely have to be inspected when they arrive in the EU, typically foodstuffs, um, particularly fish, shellfish, seafood products. And they have to go to a uh, an authorised um, testing point. Um, so that you could expect, if you're carrying those kind of products, to be diverted to an inspection location. And where, is that location in Dover or is it somewhere else? No, it, it will be on the uh, on the EU side in France. If you're carrying foodstuffs, uh, meats, agricultural exports, then you could be inspected on arrival in Coquel, which is where our terminal in uh, in France is. 
Um, and we've built a customs and um, SPS, so sanitary and phytosanitary control centre there. If I can just go back for a second, the Channel Tunnel works on the principle of juxtaposed borders. So what you do when you arrive on one of our terminals is you go through the country of departure borders and then you immediately go through the country of arrival border and then you cross after you've been through both sets of, uh, of customs and immigration. That was built at a time when we were in the EU, in the customs union, when there were no border controls. And so in order to make it work as smoothly post-transition as it does today, we've had to work to construct a border um, management process and border inspection facilities that enable trucks to clear the white lines, if you like, of the borders and then go on to inland inspection sites when they arrive in the destination country. In Dover, if someone's arrived without their paperwork, do they get as far as through the French and, and off into France or do, are they stopped by the Brits before they get to the French bit, before they get on the train? We're in Folkestone. The port of Dover are in Dover and they're doing yeah. a very similar thing to us. The points of exit on the short straights uh, the, the, the channel crossings are the busiest points of exit. All of the road traffic, 90% of the truck-borne freight that goes from between the UK and the EU goes through the short straight, so either through the Port of Dover or through the Channel Tunnel. And that's why the Kent Access Pass has been introduced to prevent trucks that are not ready getting into onto the, the M20 motorway in Kent and obstructing those trucks that are ready to go through the border. So the, the process runs, all of the paperwork that Elizabeth was describing earlier on gets uploaded into the two systems, into GVMS, which is the UK government's new um, customs management system, the Goods Vehicle Movement Service, and into the SI Brexit, which is the French equivalent. So you're uploading your export documents into GVMS and your import documents into SI Brexit. You then go to the government gateway portal for what's called the Check and HGV um, uh, system. And you confirm in there that you have uploaded all the correct documents. All and right. that then gives you a Kent access permit because you. you have done everything and you can go straight through the border without stopping. If you can't get a Kent access permit, then you mustn't come to Kent because you'll just be you know, wandering around. You won't be able to get into the Channel Tunnel. You won't be able to get into the Port of Dover. You'll have to go and do your paperwork somewhere. And if you get in the way of other traffic, you'll also be subject to a fine of £300 by the police and the uh, motorway authorities. And, and, and so it could be that, that somebody who can't, can't be bothered um, comes down, doesn't get the Kent access pass, comes down through Kent, gets turned away at the Eurotunnel or at the Port of Dover and, and is not only fined 300 quid, but is actually sent back to anywhere in England or Wales or Scotland and, and, yeah. or Northern Ireland. And that could be a long journey home to the northeast of England if it was that far. And, and if they've got a perishable load, they could also lose the load and therefore their customers will be very, very unhappy with them. So the, there's, a, there's a lot of incentive on traders and hauliers to get this right. The hauliers have been working very closely with, uh, with government and, and with us to make sure they're our customers. So we're communicating with them all, all of the time. The concern we all have is that the small traders who don't have 
uh, knowledge of customs procedures because they're not trading to third countries overseas. They're only trading with the EU. They're the ones who are going to come unstuck if they don't get ready now. You seem so well prepared. You seem you, you've really, really got, got the act together. But how much does this cost? I mean, <laughs> this must have cost a fortune. It, it, it has. In round terms, it's cost 47 million euros. Um, for us so far in in infrastructure, in systems, in uh, training. It's not a cheap thing to do to find the land, build all of the uh, uh, tarmac, the land festival, then build all of the installations, the search bays, the facilities, the offices. Um, uh, all of that takes time and money. The great thing for us in terms of what, what we can control ourselves on our terminals is we've been able to practice that and to refine the, the processes, tweak the systems and be really sure that our bit works. Well, I wish now you, I wish you well, on the, I was going to say, on the 1st of January, when you find out if it works, um, I, I wish you, in fact, I shall be raising a glass to you. As New Year's Eve becomes January the 1st, I shall say to John Keefe and his colleagues at, uh, at Eurotunnel, good luck, mate. Well done. You may see us on the television at that time, Dick. <laughs> thank you very John, much indeed. John, yeah, and thank you too. All the best to you. Thank you. Cheers. Well, Elizabeth. You've heard that. Do you think your members will be the wiser? Will they be ready? So it's our members and then it's all our members' customers who's, who are going to need to be ready um, for it. What uh, did uh, impress me, many things impressed me about uh, John and what he was saying, the preparations they put in place uh, is about the number of contingency measures which are going to be in place around Kent. Um, particularly that check and HGV is ready for the border system. Um, we know that Dover equally have been practising and can clear queues, I think, of 4,500 vehicles in 12 hours. Uh, there's a Kent Resilience Forum looking at traffic in Kent. Uh, and then there's the prioritisation of, uh, it's called fish and chicks. So live and fresh fish and day-old chicks will be prioritised through the whole system as well. Uh, but the contingency measures are very important um, in case we're not ready. And I think it's unrealistic to expect everybody to be ready, uh, but we're going to give it a good go. That's 167 trucks an hour on a 24-hour basis. If, if I divide 4,000 by 24, I get 166. That is amazing. Every hour, on the hour. And some of those are going to go off to lorry parks, aren't they? I mean, some of them are going to fill all these parks, or do you think these parks yeah. won't be used? Yes, that's right. So Michael Gove um, wrote to industry saying we need to prepare. Um, there are going to be mitigations in place. Um, but if they, they were calculating that if 40 to 70% of trucks are not border ready, it could lead to queues of 7,000 in Kent. Um, but the parking provision uh, is around 8,500 spaces. Um, and could be as much as nearly 12,000 spaces. But but we don't want that to happen. That's going to be a huge deterrence. Uh, if it is needed, it will only be for a short period of time because the incentive to get that paperwork ready uh, will be massive. But we need the EU operators to know all about it because they'll be making return journeys as well. So it's yeah. great as ready in the UK, but we need to get the messages out abroad. Yeah, Elizabeth, uh, for now, thanks very much. You're listening to Preparing for Brexit with me, Digby Jones, and this is Times Radio. 
Christine Wolfe runs her own company called Southeast Flowers. They aren't far from Dover and they use the port daily to get their freesias and their forsythias, their alliums and their agapanthus into the United Kingdom. From Christine's wholesale warehouse, the flowers are then sent out to florists and they end up as beautiful bouquets for weddings, for funerals and for functions throughout the county of Kent and beyond. Christine, welcome. Thank you, Dixie. Now you've used, I think it's Dover, or is it the Channel Tunnel? Have you? Is, is it's it the... the Channel? It's na- mainly the Channel Tunnel that the flowers come across on. If there's a problem in the Channel Tunnel, they come on the um, ferries at times like Stack. Sometimes they go from the ha- from the Hook to Harwich. Oh right, so so you you have choice. You certainly well, have choice. It's not, yeah, we wouldn't. Yeah, there is a choice. Uh, hook to Harwich is last case scenario. When we were operating through the last really bad Stack. They went from the um, hook to Harwich and then we had to hire a lorry and go up to Dartford and try and get the flowers because otherwise we would have got them about 12 hours late. Yeah. So and when you, when you use the word stack, um, mm. uh, listeners, will, will, will they imagine this is when they see all these Arctics lined up on the yeah. M20? Is that Absolutely. right? Where we are situated in Ashford, um, we have to get our flowers into us first then out to our customers, then we have to get the vans back in again. Um, and it, it tends to be a bit of a nightmare. So Brexit, there's, there's two or three different aspects of it that are worrying us, um, one of which is the logistic side and the roads. Well, I can, that, uh, Christine, you know. I can, Christine, I can help you today because I've got oh. an expert here. For you today, <laughs> yeah, you're going to talk to a real person. And for you mm. today, she's, she's not cheap. She's actually free. And uh, well, ask, ask away, Christine. One of the um, things I was talking to the guys yesterday, there's lots of jargon. There's uh, the EORI number, there's Peach. Um, Last year you had to register as a first port of call. I believe that's now changed and it has to be be something else. We get flowers in every day um, that come through from Holland and Italy. I understand that we will be charged for the paperwork from this side, but I also understand we're going to get charged paperwork from the exporters as well. So that's a consideration because obviously that's all got to go. We can't absorb anything. Our sailor works on very small margins, as you can imagine. But one of the things that happens with our flowers is that you've got multi-drop. Now, our transport company that we use has insisted that we all use the same agent So that particular lorry, all the paperwork will be from the same agent, which makes sense. What What happens if that lorry is stuck behind a lorry? That hasn't got the correct paperwork. Elizabeth? Yeah, so I think that is just uh, how life is. So you'll be potentially queuing. Remember, imports won't have those queues for six months. Um, They won't have to have uh, the same checks. So we're going to be letting imports in, doing the paperwork, doing the checks um, afterwards. Mm. So so that is some um, hope for you. Um, Mm. I'm also hoping that the ports, uh, once you've arrived at the ports, begin to do that sorting out um, from the EU side um, Mm. online. But the, the hope I have to offer... Um, you today, uh, which is something you may know about, but it's called the Local Haulier Permit Scheme. Mm, I didn't know and, that. Oh, okay. So Kent County Council, um, they've developed a scheme which allows Kent-based hauliers. So if you're in Dover, Folkestone, Hythe, Ashford, uh, Canterbury, Thanet, Faversham, um, I think you can drive directly to the Euro Tunnel entrance or the Port of Dover. 
um, on more local roads. And Elizabeth, can I ask uh, uh, if Christine is reliant more on the importing and she, she's got an extra six months, really, because the UK government are giving them six months, not Brussels. Um, in that six months, what should she be doing to make sure that we're not having this conversation right now in six months' time? Um, so in those six months, um, there's going to be some information which we haven't got yet from HMRC, uh, which will detail how she should be keeping records. So records still need to be kept. Um, but what she can use the time for is familiar herself, familiarise herself with the new systems um, and new checks for import during that time. Um, so, so she's got an extra period of preparation, and that was specifically in response to the big impact that COVID has been having on our economy. Um, Kristen was talking about running with 50% of her staff, so that was purely in recognition from government about how very, very difficult it is at the moment for businesses. And, and given given that Christine, uh, you know, she didn't, and by the way, no reason why she should, she's been trying to keep all the balls and plates in the air with COVID, um, but Given she didn't know what a local haulier permit was, and given that that is obviously going to be amazingly useful for her, um, yes. I I was finding it when you were talking about Operation This and Operation That, I, yes. I thought I'd just I just thought I'd come in the middle of an Alistair McLean war movie, and I and I, I I'm I'm confused, and I'm not Christine. So where does she go to to find the answers to all these acronyms and jargon and all of that stuff? There's the gov.uk information at the moment. But if she's in a trade association, um, they will be able to help you. And as she's already found, the customs agents, freight forwarders um, can also help. But there is a UK helpline um, launching soon as well from government. So there's a person you can speak to about this. Um, but for people launched? in Kent... When would that helpline be launched, do you think? Um, I don't have the data. I was asking my team a couple of days ago if we had an update on that. Um, I haven't got the date yet. Mm. Anything else? Uh, the, the main thing is, is, is kind of tying down exactly um, not only how long is everything going to be um, held up for. To be honest, we've just got to deal with it. Whatever happens, we are going to work probably 24 hours in advance until it settles down. So that we can, because you can't kind of put off a funeral. I mean, weddings aren't going ahead at the minute, but with funerals, they are. So if we've got an order to, for a funeral, we can't actually say to them, well, the flowers are still stuck on the lorry, so we can't deliver it. So we will start working 24 hours in advance from probably the 30th until we can see it settling down. It might That might take a month. It might take six weeks. I have really no idea. But we have no choice but to kind of just deal with it, just get on with it. Uh, there's nothing we can do about it. So you've just got to look at what you've got in, in front of your face on that particular day and go for it. Yeah. With regard to the paperwork side of things, we can't do anything about that either because if it gets to the port and the paperwork's not right, we can't do anything. As long as we're doing everything we can here, then that's the most important thing. So we'll just get on with that as well. On the charges yes. and stuff, that's all got to... I have no idea how much it's going to cost, whether it's going to be a percentage, whether it's going to be a flat free. I have had an email, to be fair, from the customs guy I spoke to yesterday, but I just haven't had time to look at it yet, which is a big problem for me on a daily basis. Passports, veto things, if we're importing plants, that's all a bit of a minefield because the list is huge. Um, and as you can imagine, there's, there's thousands of different types of flowers we bring in. So it's a little bit of a minefield. Um, if we didn't have COVID to deal with, 
maybe I could kind of take one day a week out and literally all I do is read up, read up, read up. That's the problem at the minute, is actually having time to devote to everything. Um, yes, that, and, and presumably you, you, you have competition, but competition the competition will also be suffering the same Absolutely, yeah. issue. Yeah. Mm. So so one of the one hint I would give you is if you could just spend a bit of time to get ahead of your competition yeah. and get that plant in twenty four hours earlier, mm. a fresher a fresher flower means more sales, doesn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, if you haven't got it, you can't sell it. Um, and if yeah. you haven't got it, somebody else may have it. We've just got to be super organised and we've got to make uh, make sure our customers are super organised. The, the only trouble is, and especially what I've seen happen this year, is everybody's um, buying hand-to-mouth. So because a lot of the, with the lockdowns, the shops haven't been open, they're not having the bank of flowers they would normally have for people to come in and choose. So therefore, the order comes in quite late then the customer is trying to get the flowers for the next morning and and everybody is keeping as little stock as possible to be able to react because it's perishable so you know you've got to maintain yeah. your freshness so yeah. um so that you you throw the least amount away as possible and it goes all the way along the, the along the chain the growers aren't growing as much because the demand's not there and so on and so forth yeah. um so you've just you've got a kind of be organized but your crystal ball isn't big enough yeah and, and actually do you know i'll tell you this in about a year's time we'll all have phds in hindsight won't we yeah absolutely absolutely it's can good. i can i just thank yeah. you christine and and christine wolf uh you well it's just marvelous southeast flowers i wish you the the very best and um, and let's just let's just hope you do stay one just one day ahead of the competition that sounds like to me a, a, an achievable aim get one day ahead of the competition yeah and uh, i wish you well uh, elizabeth uh, we'll hear more of you in a moment but for now thank you and you're listening to preparing for brexit with me digby jones here on times radio normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to Preparing for Brexit with me, Digby Jones, here on Times Radio. And we're looking at borders and getting goods 
across our borders. And still with me is Elizabeth de Jong from Logistics UK. Elizabeth, it's not just about Dover and Folkestone and Channel Tunnel, is it, all of this? It's it's a nationwide issue. It's a nationwide issue and will be judged, I think, on queues at Dover and also whether or not uh, shops are um, shelves in shops are stacked in Northern Ireland. Uh, and we've got specific concerns about Northern Ireland. Um, it's got a high dependency on goods from Great Britain. So two thirds of wholesale and retail goods in Northern Ireland are from Great Britain. And there's a potential to be an overwhelming numbers of customs and safety and security formalities and checks at a level that could deter trade to Northern Ireland. And also systems, infrastructure and information are not yet ready to support trade. And these all have to be ready by the 1st of January. Well, let's uh, see what that means in practice. Let's ask two people uh, from two ends of the British Isles, actually. Sarah Hards from AM Next Day, all the way from Larne on the east coast of uh, Northern Ireland. And also in Portsmouth on the south coast is Clive Broadley. He's chairman and director of a small haulage business there called Fraser Freight. Warm welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sarah, let's start with you, actually. T- tell me what you do at AM Next Day. Sure. At, at, at AM Next Day, we are a haulage company. Um, we have kind of two sides of the business. One is uh, retail logistics. So that is um, collecting goods from GB, um, bringing them into Northern Ireland and distributing um, them throughout the north of Ireland and also the south for maybe about six or seven different well-known retailers. We're also part of the Pallet Network. The Pallet Network is one of the large um, groupage networks in the UK and Ireland. We bring around 600 consignments in from GB each night and around 300 consignments out, uh, so from Northern Ireland to GB every day. 600 600 pallets leave Northern Ireland and go to the UK every day with you? Sorry, the other way around, 600 coming in from GB to Northern Ireland and probably two to 300 leaving Northern Ireland going into GB. And they go into a hub, don't they? Yes, it's a hub uh, close to Birmingham and then out onward to kind of delivery uh, depots. That, that actually, uh, actually, Sarah, that was a rhetorical question. I knew they went to Birmingham, <laughs> but I just like to hear my home city mentioned on national radio. Oh, that's there all, you that's go. All that. There you go. Well, well done. And, what, and what's your actual role at AM Next Day? I actually do sales. Um, um, but uh, in these kind of strange and weird times, COVID is presenting kind of uh, a challenge to get face to face with people. Um, and, you know, Brexit is ever pressing. Um, this is a family business as well. So um, whatever kind of um, is, is different falls in my lap. So <laughs> yeah. Brexit, Brexit expert here. Also. And, what, and, and what on 1st January, as far as you know, is going to change for you right now? So, Leaving Northern Ireland is, is going to remain the same, which is, which is good for us um, going to both GB and Ireland, hopefully. Um, what's going to change for us is that the goods coming in from GB are going to be subject to the safety and security and customs declaration. Um, and our, at, at the moment, we, we're getting more information daily, which is making us feel slightly less nervous. Um, our, the network that we're part of is offering a customs service to um, all of our customers bringing goods in from GB to NI free. So it's an added value service as part of that network, which is which is great to hear. So it, as long as the kind of IT systems are, are up and running from both the government side and, and our network, things should run smoothly. Really? However, um, <laughs> 
Let's well, well, I, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think that'll be famous last words. I think they will run smoothly. You, you seem on top of it. Let's ask Clive, uh, Clive Broadie, let's move from Northern Ireland. Let's get down to Portsmouth. And uh, I was stationed there when I was in the Royal Navy. I was actually on a, a ship out of Portsmouth, so I know it reasonably well. Uh, I bet you're pleased to hear, Clive, what uh, Sarah's just been saying, aren't you? Yes, I am. And I, I, I trust the ship was not the victory <laughs> been on it many times <laughs> um, yes I was interested uh, to know I, uh, our own business is not particularly uh, um, Northern Ireland centric we, we don't really uh, consider goods for there uh, we're more interested in the in the European movements from our side of it I mean, Fraser yeah. Fleet is, um, is a medium sized business small to medium sized business we employ about 35 we turn over about million. We're Jersey Post owned. Uh, we are a traditional freight forwarder, so we move goods by air, sea, international road, import, export, and we operate a fleet, which is our real interest in this debate. We operate a fleet of 12 HGVs, and our prime routes are to Italy, France, Netherlands, and, and one or two other uh, EU destinations. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to take full advantage of this right now because uh, I'm chairman of some six companies and every single one of them at some point or another uses freight forwarding and our worry not not yet been proved uh, so it's not an accusation but I, our worry is that our freight forwarders and they're all different ones by the way and they're different businesses but they'll all say oh it's far more difficult than it used to be bang up goes the price and I won't I'm, we're worried about it set my mind at rest tell me I'll sleep easy at night you, you you may sleep easy at night if 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 your main concern are goods coming in from current non-EU uh, destinations. That isn't going to change too much. So if your freight forwarder is set up for import clearances and dealing with the trade coming in through what we call the deep sea ports, Southampton, Felixstowe, in the main, that's going to be unaf unaffected. The, the concern that freight forwarders and hauliers have got is around the border. And whilst you said earlier, maybe it's different for different parts of the country, that's not necessarily the case because the pinch point is going to end up being Dover, the Channel, Portsmouth to some extent, and what we call the non-inventory ports, the, the ports that are not currently directly linked to the customs system. And therefore, freight porters and hauliers are going to have to learn new practices. And, and our concern there is that information is still very short literally before this meeting i attended an hmr briefing for the software houses for the new goods movement uh, vehicle movement system that they're introducing and it's clearly yeah. not ready uh, there's no test environment we have 21 working days left before uh, uh, the end of the year and we have christmas in the middle of that black friday uh, um, end of year uh, rushes and COVID. So the opportunity to prepare for it is is really difficult for hauliers. Some are well prepared. We've done a lot of work as a company, uh, but it's not just preparing the hauliers themselves. It's preparing the customers at the same time. Because if the so, while, so whilst the, um, that, the yeah, if the customers exactly, if the customers don't don't help or play ball then the costs will go up is what yes, you're saying yeah. and I, I but if they, if they do really if they're on on the ball and they're doing their bit and government who say it will be ready in time uh, it's uh, you know 
you and I could be a bit a tad cynical about that, but let us assume that let us assume they're right. Um, am I am I temp- allowed to think that as long as the customer's doing their bit, as long as government's done its bit, freight forwarding will not put up by and large the price of doing all this? The, the, I, I, I think not in in terms of uh, standard practice. The, the risk area yeah. is going to be if there's congestion. The problem is going to be at the port is if they do not have the right software running and working, if they cannot link to the new systems, uh, if they do not get the paperwork right, the vehicle cannot move. If, if it moves and it's carrying groupage loads, for example, it only requires one groupage load not to have its customs documents in order, and that vehicle will be turned around. If and by groupage load, groupage load, you mean lots of things from lots of places, do you? Yes. So, so yeah. um, it falls into two categories. Really. You, you get what we call full loads. I'm, I'm talking about our heavy goods vehicles. Um, you get full loads, which are not so bad. They're dedicated. It's one customer, uh, one sort of goods probably, one single clearance, and, and that's less of an issue. But much of the trade traveling to and from the EU are what we call groupage loads um, run by groupage operators. So on that trailer, they may have a dozen or more separate loads for different customers, all of which will require a customs entry. And if it doesn't get permission to progress, it can't get onto the ferry. If it hasn't got customs arrangements set up both sides of the channel, it cannot progress. And and that's the big worry. So for a haulier like ourselves, we depend on a quick flow of our vehicles. We we particularly home in on Italy. That's one of our big markets. We can turn around a truck, so it will go out on a Monday. It will be back by the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We turn it around, it goes out again on the Monday. So that's a six, seven-day turnaround. If it can't do that and it goes to a 10-day turnaround, we've got three extra running days with no income. So your price goes up. Yes, and if it's driver-accompanied and the driver can't move, you're then into night out. Uh, yeah. payments and demurrage and that can be two three hundred pounds a day so the answer to the answer to my question is get your paperwork done in advance and use the smart stuff and absolutely. the it stuff yeah absolutely yeah. but all so have got to work very closely with their customers customer base um, yeah and that's what yeah. we've been doing we've, we've been running powerpoint since 2018 yeah, actually yeah. we've been running powerpoint presentations and and, and Sarah, this is this is uh, Sarah. This is radio, not television. But if it was television, I'd have seen you nodding at that point, would I? <laughs> oh, very much so. What's key here is the sharing of information with you know everyone from you know kind of uh, professionals in the industry with different customers. We've kind of set up numerous you know webinars and meetings over the past two years as well, just to try and get get as much information out as possible. And uh, that's key, get, getting everyone prepared. But um, as uh, Clyde said, it, it could be you know madness at the ports. We we deal with groupage, as I said, daily. I think on our um, trailers, there's maybe 50 different consignments. You're looking at 50 different MRN numbers, you know, and and details for 50 different pallets. If one of those is just ever so slightly out, that's that you know it's kind of segregated and not allowed to enter the port. Yeah, I see. I see one problem for both of you actually is that you are reliant for your reputation and indeed your money, as you Clive was just clearly explaining on the customer getting it right yeah yeah no, absolutely i think so yeah. are aligned on this if, if the customer doesn't get it right and, and it's part of our job to to help educate the uh, customer mm-hmm. 
but, but some yeah. are easier to educate than others, is the truth of it. Yeah. And, if, and if it sounds to me... Yeah. ...side of life, you don't maybe have that same relationship with the customer. No. But it sounds to me that um, uh, HMG and Northern Ireland are probably, they've probably got that in a better place with a few weeks to go than they have for you in Portsmouth. Would that, am I understanding that correctly? Sarah seemed a bit more optimistic um, that it's all going to work. Uh, well, I'm, I'm more optimistic after a, fo- a phone call I had this morning. Um, however, that may change tomorrow <laughs> because <laughs> the, the, the information we're fed daily kind of does change. And the, the system that we're going to be using for everything trading in and out from Northern Ireland is the Trader Support Service, the TSF. Uh, that, although it, there is information online, it still it won't be up and running until the 21st of December. So again, like the new CDS system, there'll be very little time uh, to, to test that and, and see how it works and how, if it's compatible with different software that our customers may have. Yeah. And Clive? Uh, yes, we're, we're not so involved with the TSS system, but uh, I was reading up on it, Sarah, and I think if good to coming out of Northern Ireland, it's, 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 it's pretty trouble-free, isn't it? And crossing the borders um, out of Southern Ireland into Northern Ireland is, is, is fairly free of tariffs and barriers. But going yeah. back in, if, if people, again, are not joined up on the TSS and haven't registered, I guess that's going to cause you some problems? Yeah, I think that we are kind of, t- I feel like a salesperson for the TSS the past few weeks. I've been pushing my customers towards it. I must be getting some sort of um, some sort of commission from them, hopefully. But uh, yeah, uh, basically we are pushing them in that direction. And if, if everyone kind of is on board with that, who's trading with Northern Ireland, it should make things uh, ever so slightly more seamless. Well, let, let me uh, let me share with both of you. My, one of my uh, companies, I was talking to him this morning, uh, talking to the uh, uh, dispatch manager this morning. But I mentioned what uh, uh, who I was going to be talking to today, and um, uh, he said, uh, every time I ask government when's this going to come out, I get Ken being told next Sunday. Yeah, and. It, <laughs> it, Oh, well, I'm hearing a lot. So, yes. And he said every week I'm told it's next Sunday. And uh, so I, 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 I from that laughter, Sarah, I guess I've uh, I've found a common thread there, have I? Definitely. Um, it seemed to be, you know, that there was a deadline of each Sunday night was the deadline that we would hear of what the this agreement for us is going to be. And we would have more clarity. That's why I said every week I say to my customers, we'll catch up next week and we'll know exactly where we're going to be and we'll, we'll know how to proceed. And <laughs> no doubt there we have a little bit more information, but just not, you know, not enough to kind of give everyone certainty to say yeah. trade is going to yeah. continue as fairly similarly to, as it does right now. So, Well, Sarah Hartz from AM Next Day in Larne in Northern Ireland and to uh, Clyde Broadley, Chairman of Fraser Freight down there in Portsmouth. To both of you, thank you for your time and, and I wish you well. It, uh, it, it's, a, it's a minefield and um, mm-hmm. from what I've heard, you're both supremely qualified to navigate uh, your customers through it, so good luck. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you very Thank much. You. Bye. Bye, Thank Sarah. You. Still with me is Elizabeth de Jong from Logistics UK. Well, Elizabeth, what did you think of that then? Oh, I feel so bad um, because I'm really still concerned about Northern Ireland, Great Britain's trade. So um, I probably know too much about what's ready and what isn't for Northern Ireland. Um, but I'm delighted from Sarah that the trader support system is re- uh, service is really helping her. But we don't have any comprehensive business guidance on what's going to happen for trade between Great Britain um, and 
uh, Northern Ireland yet. We don't have any operational guidance. Um, there's still some political uh, discussions to happen there. The infrastructure um, for SPS checks is not ready at Larm, Belfast, Warren Ports. Um, it's not begun construction. What, what's SPS it won't be ready. Um, it's, it's the sanitary and phytosanitary checks. Well, of uh, course it is. Why didn't I know that? <laughs> the goods movement vehicle service. Um, yes, Clive, we won't need it for the for things coming from um, Great Britain mm. until July, but we need it for the 1st of January uh, for Northern Ireland, uh, and it's not fit for purposes yet. I mean, Elizabeth, just walk us all walk us all through the uh, trader support scheme. What's that? So that is advice and guidance, and also digital service uh, that is there for people who are trading with Northern Ireland or based in Northern Ireland as well. So they're going to help you uh, and give you advice and, and hold your, your hand um, through the, the transition as well. And how can somebody get hold of that? So th that is advertised. You would just need to almost Google Trader Support Service. And is that for somebody who's selling into there as well as someone who's buying absolutely. off there? Absolutely. People selling into there, um, very important. Right. They're webinars and what they're doing, but they will also uh, want to talk to you personally too and, and get you to register for it. But we're asking for mitigations for Northern Ireland um, and hoping we can deliver some of those. So truck level rather than consignment level declarations, uh, for the sanitary and phytosanitary checks. Also, safety and security declarations, so you don't need one for each parcel. Some of our members are, are taking 5,000 parcels per truck, and that's a lot of different uh, entries that they need to do per truck. Uh, so and, that's and that's not Northern Ireland. You're saying that's going out of anywhere? So specifically into Northern Ireland because of the volumes going into Northern Ireland are of concern to us. Um, but, yeah. So we're hoping we're getting a breakthrough, and you're telling me everything is announced on Sunday, so... I will look forward to hearing. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, you're entitled to say which Sunday, I think. Um, <laughs> now, if you've ever been lucky enough to own a beautiful sports car and you want to get it down to, shall we say, southern Spain, and you don't want to put any more miles on your classic car's clock. Well, for one thing, of course, you'd be incredibly lucky. But you also might want to employ the services of my next guest. David Rogers runs a specialist haulage company. E.M. Rogers. And that transports cars all across Europe, not just down to southern Spain. Indeed, takes a lot of uh, Range Rovers and the, and the like up to the Arctic Circle. David also not only runs a successful business, but um, I've uh, known him for years. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, and when I was putting this series together, I thought, here is a man who knows the borders and the problems backwards. And what's more, as you know, I, I've tried very hard. To, it's regardless whether you supported Remain or Brexit in this. Uh, this is not about the politics. This is not about the referendum. This is about we're here. We're now. We're weeks away. How can business learn to get the job done on January the 1st at the end of transition? David was a Remainer. He and I used to have huge arguments about it over a bottle of wine. Uh, and uh, we, he, I'm just, I'm so proud of the way that he just got hold of the business after the referendum result and said, right, well, we're here, we're here, got to get on with it. Let's make it happen. So I thought uh, it'd be ideal today. So, David, you're welcome. Hello, Digby. Thank you for inviting me on this. You take these uh, these cars up to the Arctic Circle. You take them down to the yeah. deserts of North Africa. Yeah. What yeah. what percentage goes through the EU? Well, the whole lot, everything. So, the whole lot. You know, we, yeah. So when we go up to the Arctic Circle, we'll go um, on a ferry from Immingham to Gothenburg, 
and it's a three-day drive all through Sweden up into uh, northern Sweden up into the Arctic Circle. Um, they'll test the cars there for various things like tires and brakes and all sorts of things. Um, our drivers will stay up there maybe for a week or 10 days um, and then they'll bring the cars back and then uh, a continuous thing like this. And any sort of during the winter months, any sort of one week, we'd have 10 to 12 trucks every week up in the Arctic Circle. We're only sort of five weeks away from um, um, the, the end of the transition period. And it is a worry, really, to all of us transport guys. We still really don't know quite what's happening. The nearest thing we've done in, in the last few weeks is to apply for ECMT permits, which are the permits that we need to go into um, all of the European countries. And I spoke to... Funny enough, today, the, the local RHA international office, and um, there is only 2,088 ECMT permits, which are permits you need to sort of go into Europe, being allocated. And there's about 12,000 regular users of, of trucks going into Europe every sort of uh, week or every month. So there's going to be a massive shortfall. Um, so the problem we can see is, say, we send 50 or 60 trucks every week, and we're only allocated sort of half that amount of permits, say 25 to 30 permits if we're lucky, um, you know, we're going to have trucks that um, technically can't go into Europe. So, so, so can, I just, can I just understand that, David? So you're, you're handling about 60 of your own trucks every week, yes, leave, every week, leaving yes. the UK, taking cars yes. all over Europe, and yes. because each truck individually needs a permit, as opposed yes. to the business needs a permit, you're, uh, you're going to have half your fleet idle there's certainly a possibility and also you know we'll have customers um, uh, calling us and saying can we do um, uh, extra trucks say to italy or austria or wherever it might be and we'll say well look you know we'd love to but unfortunately we haven't got the permits um to be able to do that and how do i stop how do you get hold of extra permits i mean what 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 need what lever needs to be thrown somewhere to get the permits that business needs well that is a problem really and say there's only two thousand odd permits being issued um and one permit per truck um but why why have there only a few permits why not loads more well apparently that's all that europe is allocating so what we've got to do is get hold of somebody in the negotiation team and say um make sure in the negotiation that we get the number of permits we need i'm personally hoping there's going to be some sort of deal done i know it's sort of like the the 11th hours it is at the moment but um i just feel it'll be mitigated quite a lot and and possibly permits won't be needed if a deal is done you know so um that would yeah. make a massive interest, interest for us, you know. If a deal is done and that permit's not needed, you still need more and different paperwork, don't you? Yes, you do. Um, and, of course, we're relying on, you know, everything that goes, and, and I'm sure you've been discussing it already, but, you know, um, everything that goes uh, across into Europe and, and into Ireland will need um, um, T-forms or ATA carnets and this sort of thing, um, which is extra paperwork for, for offices to do. And you're also relying on customers um, you know, presenting with the right documentation. You know, I, I, I can go back long enough to sort of prior, prior to uh, 1992 where we'd have trucks sort of stuck at Dover, you know, certain entries hadn't been made and, um, you know, your truck is stuck there because um, you might have 20 consignments on, on a trailer um, and, and two haven't cleared customs because of the, the proper paperwork isn't it. So that, that's a real problem as well. Where do you see the business in six, nine months' time? Do you, do you see this as sorted out? Well, I think it's a difficult question, really, because we don't really know. It, it's almost like this COVID thing, you know. Um, 
did we expect COVID to last as long as it did? And probably the answer is no, we didn't. Uh, how much has it affected us? And we're probably 25% down in turnover of what we were prior to, um, to March of this year. Um, I, I think it will affect business initially, uh, transport business, a great deal. Even just through, you know, I was talking about earlier on lack of permits and that sort of thing. But another thing is, you know, if 10% um, increase on, um, on duty comes into the UK, a Scania or Volvo truck that we actually buy roughly costs £100,000. Um, add 10% to that, another £10,000. We buy 15 to 18 new trucks every year. So you can see that straight away, off the bottom line, another £150,000, £180,000, you know. So, yeah, and, uh, that means, that's, and that means fewer people employed and less tax paid, yeah. doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah it, it does. does. It does. Yeah. David? David, we'll call it a call it a day there, and and just to say thanks for giving me some time, and it's lovely to yeah. see you, mate. You take care. Well done. Pleasure, thank you. Bye bye now. Well, Elizabeth, you're still with me, and you uh, you heard that there's a man who knows his subject. What did you think of that? Yes, yeah, so, um, uh, so David should be hearing at the beginning of December if he gets a permit, and uh, not another Sunday. Another Sunday. Um, so vital, uh, he can't continue his business without it. Um, the assurance that I can give him from government is that there's going to be a glide path to whatever new reciprocal arrangements there could be in place if it is not part of a trade deal. And also they're confirming um, bilateral deals to try to circumnavigate um, this permit system. But yes, there are far, far too few permits for us to be able to continue to uh, take our vehicles abroad and continue our businesses. And and uh, I'm not going to hold you to this, but what, are you, mm. what do you think the chances are of there being enough permits? Um, we know there's not enough permits, so we know there yeah. needs to be another system. It's it's almost one company in four, and then it's only for one lorry. So uh, how are we going to get more permits? I mean, it seems to me that, that, that this is absolutely vital to these businesses. So what are we going to do about it? Um, so generally, we're hoping to the trade deal. So they've got bigger issues on fishing and the level playing field. And we're hoping it will come through through a trade deal. Um, if not, it will be needing to be country to country bilateral deals. Um, or right. the people who run the permit scheme uh, feel more kindly disposed to Britain than they have thus far. If you if you look at the whole programme today, and thank you for joining me on it, and uh, what are your takeaways? You know, what do you think good and bad from all the businesses that we've heard from? Oh, it's been such an in-depth and illuminating look at Brexit preparedness and such differences in the people uh, who you've spoken to. So John, with his huge business, ultimately prepared 47 million euros spent on it. Real confidence um, from him. And then Christine, completely focused on the day-to-day. -day. She can't hold additional stock in the flower company. She can't prepare as she's so hit by covid um, Sarah from Northern Ireland, very positive, finding help from the government uh, TSS service to help her and Clive, a really pragmatic approach as well. Elizabeth, every, everything you've heard, uh, listeners to this will be saying, well, but where do I go? You know, how do I find this out in the next few weeks? Where can I learn and what do I do? Where, where would you recommend that people actually, after this programme, go online or, or make a call? Where would they be? So it is all at gov.uk transition, all the information we have. It's not all available yet. If you're part of the trade association, they will be able to help you. Logistics UK uh, is helping our members. Um, if you can contact a customs agent or a freight forwarder, 
Um, you can contact the Trader Support Service if you're in Northern Ireland, or you can go to an information point. There's 45 around the country for motorway services centres um, as well. And there will be a UK helpline launching soon, but see if you can do uh, some of your own work before then. Are you personally hopeful or are you... Uh, concern that we're entering into a nightmare. Uh, uh, is your glass half full, half empty? I'm always a half full person, but I like to think I'm realistic. So there will be a period where this needs to settle. However prepared we think we are by having read instruction manuals and seen what we're meant to be doing, we won't know until it really goes live. But our industry is immensely flexible. It's resilient. It wants to meet the needs of its customers. So it will adapt and deliver. I've learned such a lot in in the last hour. And uh, Elizabeth de Jong uh, from Logistics UK, just to say a huge thank you to you. You've you've really uh, shone a light on it for me as well. Thank you. Now, we've heard from some of our guests on the programme about a number of big issues that are still outstanding, although the end of transition is just a few weeks away. They include whether computer software is up and running, whether various permits have been issued, whether the setup at the ports in Northern Ireland are ready for those food imports. We've invited a government minister onto the programme in a couple of weeks' time so that we can actually get some answers. So please tune in then. It should be interesting. My thanks to all my guests today, particularly to Elizabeth Young from Logistics UK for setting out the context and commenting on all of my guests and their specific problems. At the end of this series, we're going to hold a special programme where we're going to bring together many of the themes that we've been discussing, a wrap-up if you like. And if you've been listening and if you have any question about any part of it, there'll be a special panel there to answer your questions. So please send them to me. Email them at studio at times.radio. Now in the next episode of Preparing for Brexit, we're going to talk the three Fs. We're going to talk about food, about farming and about fishing and how are things going to change for businesses who put the meals on our plates and who earn an amazing amount of foreign exchange for our country by exporting food to the European Union. I do hope you can join me then. And in the meantime, thank you again for joining me on Preparing for Brexit with me, Digby Jones, here on Times Radio. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.